Tom Bernard Show with Andy Brant Bernard, Mike Molina. And we'll be right back. Very special guest Ian Punnett will join us right after this Tom Bernard Show. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically we're trying to represent people who have been hurt and talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. And it's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. It's been good, ladies and gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? uh, Either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Due to the billions of marketing dollars spent by Walzer Automotive on Tom Bernard Podcast, you hopefully know that Walzer sells cars. What you might not know is that they also have two full-service collision repair centers in the Twin Cities. They're fully certified by all insurance carriers and can help you navigate all the paperwork if you ever have an accident. But wait, there's more. They've also been in the paintless dent repair business for nearly 30 years and can take those pesky dings out for just a fraction of what traditional bodywork costs. Broken windshield? Walzer Collision is a fleet of full-service mobile glass repair trucks as well. Walzer are pros at body and glass repair, but don't take my word for it. They have an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau and a nearly perfect 4.8 Google rating. Check them out at walzercollision.com. Here's another pack of low-grade morons who ought to be locked into portable toilets and set on fire. (laughs) These people with bumper stickers that say, we are the proud parents of an honor student at the Franklin School. You know? or the Midvale Academy, or whatever other innocent-sounding name has been assigned to the indoctrination center where their child has been sent to be stripped of his individuality and turned into an obedient, soul-dead, conformist member of the American consumer culture. Honest to God. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our very special guest, Ian Punnett. How are you, sir? I'm great. Thank you for having me again. Well, it's a great pleasure to have you on. I just, uh, I've been doing a lot of reading about you and things. you know, I, I, I don't, you and I didn't talk about people say tinnitus and tinnitus. I, I think it's, it's tinnitus, isn't it? <laughs> I say I, it's, you know, doctors pronounce it tinnitus. They do. Is, yes. But I, but, um, tinnitus is also an acceptable pronunciation. And to me, that's actually more accurate because tonight it's us every night. It's me and the tinnitus, yeah. and that's how I look at it. So. And me as well. As a matter of fact, by coincidence, Ian, uh, on, I believe, Tuesday's show, might have been Monday's show, Andy, my son, talked about, again, totally by coincidence, he talked about the fact that he keeps his headphone volume very low during the show, and I was it, the bad example of the reason, the reason he did that because... I have uh, a different tone in each ear. 
Uh, oh, God, I tell you, Ian, I have a, one tone in my left ear and one tone in my right ear. First of all, I've been in radio now for 48 years. I was in a rock band before that and listened to, uh, to right. a number of things. In head, but wearing headphones, is that what caused your tinnitus, you think, is it wearing headphones for so many years? Yeah, so there's a genetic component that, like, oh, alcoholism, is. maybe? Yeah. So, like, <laughs> oh, how. That's nice. Seriously, like, how some people can have one drink and they're like, oh my God, where have you been my entire life? Mm-hmm. And they're, it's like their whole body metabolism changes after sampling alcohol or a drug. And other people take it and went, eh. And so, whether that's uh, something that's a, a physical, biophysical, or whether that's entirely. You know, mental. I don't. I don't know, but I know that there's a propensity that some people have genetically to develop um, tinnitus, and other people don't. And they can have the exact same circumstances. They could be in radio with headphones as long as us both, and never develop it. God, that is so. so where amazing. do you go with that? I developed it long before I ever wore headphones. Oh, you did develop it. So yeah, yeah. this was That's probably six, seven years ago, and the doctors basically just said, "Well, you have crap luck. Too bad." <laughs> Right. It can happen from an injury just as much as anything, right? So yeah. tinnitus, the way to look at tinnitus is just, it's dead. It's just dead nerve cells in your ear. And everybody loses nerve cells. As everybody old gets older, every, you know, nerve cells die. But for some reason, some people's brains decide to go rogue. And they decide to keep sending those dead nerve cells messages saying, hey, where are you? Haven't heard from you for a while. You got anything to say? Got anything to report? And that's tinnitus. It's the sound that the brain makes, they think, trying to connect to those dead nerve cells. Does that mean I'm schizophrenic because the tones are different? (laughs) Well, isn't that, I mean, it's sort of like a, it's like a submarine ping. Yeah. And like, it it goes out and it comes back. And that's how you sonically, so the brain is just sending a message to those dead nerve cells. Some people, their brains don't make a noise out of it, and other people's brains make a big damn deal out of it. You know. So. Yeah, it's true. It's it's with me all the time. One thing I really like about it, to tell you the truth, though, Ian, is the fact that sometimes when I don't want to hear what people are saying, it really helps. <laughs> That's true. And there's a weird time. I don't know if you ever go through this, guys, but I know sometimes I sit back and I kind of marvel at it. I'm like... Man, that's a loud noise. That is really because like, yeah. I, I train myself for the most part. I don't hear it, so sometimes when I do, I'm I don't know. I'm kind of impressed. I think it's, it's exactly it because most of the time I don't even hear it, even yeah. though it's doing it. I don't hear it. If you don't think about it, it's just kind yeah. of you know not really there. Although if I focus well, really hard, I can make it go away. But as soon as I stop focusing, it comes back. I don't know what that is. Well, that's actually the the only known non-surgical therapy is called TRT, tinnitus retraining therapy. And that's essentially what that is. Unfortunately, the louder and the more persistent the tinnitus, the more difficult it is to achieve TRT, which is why, and I think you all agree with this, the first rule of tinnitus club is don't talk about tinnitus club, right? Because the more you talk about it, the more you think about it too so i almost never talk about it unless somebody brings it up well i'm really glad i brought it up for you then to make you miserable <laughs> today and that's fantastic but it's true i mean i think if other people that have it sometimes it's good to just sort of like form a little circle you know and just kind of talk about it for a minute because it's there and it's real it is and it, it's i have the disruptive kind i have the kind that 
if I were standing next to a waterfall, it would still be the loudest noise I hear. Yeah, I think that's probably true. How old were you when you when you went uh, came to St. Paul? Yes. So, good question. So, I think uh, 2001. So I was 41. So you're 40. Did you live in Illinois the full time before? Because you were born in. No, in no, 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 oh, no, no. Okay. I came. So I came to the Twin Cities, living in. I was in Atlanta. And I had already gotten hooked up with Hubbard Broadcasting and KSTP when oh, I, I lived okay. in Atlanta. Okay. Right. And I used to do the show from Atlanta. I took over for Tommy Mischke for a while when right. he had about of depression. So I, t- I did the show off and on for a couple of years before I finally moved up there. But, I mean, you did, you did grow up in Illinois, though, didn't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. You know where the Home Alone house is? Yes. Or you know about in the Home I, I grew up, down, like, blocks from, from the Home Alone house. Is that Winnetka? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I thought, yeah, yeah. that's a, that's a so beautiful the, area. Yeah, it was nice. It was Mayberry with money. Yeah, Mayberry with a lot of money. It's true. I, yeah, I think you and I talked about that before. I, I used to, yeah. I spent a ton of time in Chicago doing voiceover, and I would kind of wander around the area because back, I, you know, I, when I first started, I was twenty five years old. Twenty, yeah, twenty five years old. I wasn't married. I had so I would literally go to Cubs games, or I would go wander yeah. around places like uh, Winnetka and just. It, I'd love Chicago. First of all, I just love that town. I it's a great city. It is. It's but a that's great why city. I love. That's why I love St. Paul. Yep. When I moved to yep. the Twin Cities, it was like, where am I? Am I going to be a St. Paul guy, or am I going to be a Minneapolis guy? Right? Because you know you're going to have to make a choice somewhere in there. Somehow. Well, let's not forget. You know, St. Paul's a neighborhood read, I, of Minneapolis. Yeah, that's right. It was listed. At, yeah. Where was, where was so that I listed heard. again? That moron. What was that? That was CNN Travel. CNN Travel called St. Paul a neighborhood in Minneapolis. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It was pretty funny. I remember retweeting that. So, yeah, so, but I think St. So Paul to me is like Chicago in 1965. Yeah. I, no, I can see that. I absolutely can see that. And by the way, Ian, we, we might have to band together because I, I know that the uh, that O'Gara family is talking about tearing down the bar and building a, uh, uh, a high rise there, a luxury uh, high rise, and then put a smaller version of O'Gara's in there. But the problem with that is. Uh. Charles Schultz lived in the apartment above O'Gara's when he was a kid, and Vince Flynn attended bar at O'Gara's when he was writing term limits. So, oh, yeah. you can't tear all that down. You gotta. I, I said, Danny, you gotta yeah. save parts of it at least. Right, right. Do you know where the? Um, do they still have the the uh, barber chair from his father from his dad, at yeah. O'Gara's? I think so. You know, I've been in, in in a while, but I think they do because his father was a barber think, there. Yeah, that's where the barbershop was. Yep. And I think they kept the chair there when they expanded into that space. Well, we're, you know, like over is it Patina that's on the corner of Snelling and like Kitty Corner yeah. to O'Gara's? I is think that, that's correct. Yes. The Patina. Mm-hmm. So above that mm-hmm. is where Schultz's mother died. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, they moved so in adulthood they moved to and check me on this but i read the charles m schultz biography and it was pretty detailed on addresses they lived in an apartment above patina um which is still there and that was where when she was dying of breast cancer he was allowed to come back from fort snelling which is i think where he was doing some at the time he was in the army and he was doing whatever basic stuff and he came to her, and one of the last conversations they ever had was she said she wanted to live, 
and survive this. And if she did, she was going to get a dog and name him Snoopy. And that's where the name came from. That's a wonderful story. I love those stories. That's a great, great St. Paul story. It is a great I think his house, the house he lived in as a kid was closer to where uh, Creighton Durham is. So, yeah, I think they just sold it, as a matter of fact. Did I, they? I think, yeah, because yeah. that house had to be worth quite a bit of money because I believe that Charles Schultz painted the children's rooms with characters. He, I mean, oh. he hand-painted them, and they're still there, so I assume that's got to be worth a, a good, pretty good amount of money, right. I would think. Well, and I was thinking about his childhood home. So, like, he lived, right. I, you know, Dan, I've been gone for so long, I can't remember the name of the streets. But uh, Snelling, whatever Snelling, there's a Walgreens on Snelling near that, um, used to be the Irish shop. I can't remember what it's called. No, Randolph. It was like Snelling a, and Randolph. Randolph, yeah. Snelling yeah, and Randolph, yeah. Yeah, I lived, like, two blocks from there. Yep. Right. So, Sherman's house, they tore down... Charles M. Schultz, well, so Charlie Brown's friend Sherman um, was named after a real kid named Sherman who lived in a house that is now the parking lot of that Walgreens. Oh, man. Unbelievable. Yeah. That is unbelievable. Oh, first of all, I I have to ask you, how much time do you have today? Because I, 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 you know... I have about a million things I want to talk to you about. I'm great. No, man, I cleared out the afternoon for you. I, well, yeah, I, I love talking to you. And if last time was any indication, somebody said, wouldn't you be free? I said, I had no idea. So I'm great. <laughs> it all works out in the end. I, uh, cause I, cause I, you know, we've, we've talked about so many things already so quickly. You brought up Tommy Mischke, uh, great radio yeah. personality, but, uh, and talking about St. Paul in Minneapolis, it just reminded me of a wonderful story. Uh, Mishki was sitting around. Ron Rosenbaum was there at the time, and talking about the Good fact. Old Ron Rosenbaum. Sure, and uh, Mishki, a St. Paul boy, all the way through and through, 100% St. Paul boy, did not know where Wyzetta was. For people outside of Minnesota, <laughs> Wyzetta is a western suburb of Minneapolis, and Tommy Mishki had no idea how to get there. <laughs> That's very funny. It's just... That's very funny. Well, you know that. When Mishki was on the air at night on KSTP, yep. he he broke the law. He broke the FCC regulation every night when he gave the top of the hour ID. I didn't know that. Because he always said, he, at the top of the hour, he always said, good old St. Paul and big time Minneapolis. So you would say KSTP, good old St. Paul, big time Minneapolis. And according to FCC rules, you're not allowed to put any words oh, yeah. between the call letters, right, and the station of license, the city of license. For, for and, uh, and the station looked the other way on it because they just loved how it felt. And the Hubbard family resonates with the idea of good old St. Paul. Yeah, well, they do. And I believe it was the Atlantic Monthly that loved it so much as well, right? Didn't they write an entire article about Mishki, if I remember correctly? Right. Yeah, that started because of the when when uh, the former governor came to be on the air with David Letterman. They talked about Mishki off the air while he was walking onto the set. Oh, okay. And that that's what that Atlanta, that in that article they talked about that that um, that Ventura that that David Letterman leaned into Ventura's ear and said, "Hey, I hear about this guy named Tommy Mishki." And Ventura made a comment back to him about Mishki, and, and then they came and they sat down, and, and that was part of Tommy's legend was that Letterman was curious about Mishki, which well, I loved. And I could see how he would be. Why do you think it is that so many people like Tommy Mishki and, and many other people? Well, you did appear on national radio, uh, obviously. Um, 
I was offered a job in pretty much every town in America. I'm sure yeah. Tommy Mishke was offered jobs in every town in America as well. Why do you think it is that even though you're from Illinois, you've kind of stayed at home? Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I'm a, I think of the, I'm kind of an upper Midwest guy yeah. in that sense. And I always, and I grew up, as we talked about, hey, did I not predict that the Vikings were going to, when last time we were on, I, I didn't I give you the <laughs> prediction I just read in SI or on ESPN that the Vikings were going to beat uh, the Rams. I told, I was the one who told you that because I just yes. read that. Um, so I grew up, I'm always a Vikings guy, um, even in Illinois. So I'd always had that identity. But yeah, you know, it's interesting. Tommy was even offered, uh, Tommy was even offered Prairie Home Companion. Right. It's an amazing story. Can you stay with us uh, for another segment? I yeah. hope. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm not answering your questions very well. No, you know, you answer my questions perfectly because this is how I love conversations on the radio. I don't like radio announcing. I love conversations yeah. on the radio. That's what Yeah, I me too. But I, I'll try and be a little more disciplined in my head. No, I don't want you to be. I, I like Ian Punnett the way Ian Punnett is. We'll be right back, Tom Bernard Show. I'm Brad Huckle, president of North American Banking Company. Ask one of our bankers what they love about business banking. They always say the relationship with a client. Case in point, True North Oral Surgery and Implants is a longtime customer with a growing practice. Their banker Julie Marshall knows the ins and outs of what they do. So when they need working capital, an equipment loan, or funds for expansion, they call Julie. Are you looking for a banker you can count on? Give us a call. This is Tom. Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience. Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. Just like all of you, I had been hearing about my pillow and was skeptical that it was as great as everyone says. Well, I received my first my pillow and I love it. It's very comfortable, stays in that same exact position all night. Fantastic. Mike Lindell, the inventor of MyPillow, has a very special offer for Tom Bernard Show listeners. MyPillow is offering more than 50% off his four-pack special, which includes two premium MyPillows and two go-anywhere pillows. If you're looking for a great night's sleep, now is the perfect time to get your first MyPillow. If you already know how great the MyPillow is, why not give them to everyone you know? Call 800-516-5146, use promo code TOM, or go to MyPillow.com. But make sure you use promo code TOM. Call 800-516-5146 and use promo code TOM. That's 800-516-5146, promo code TOM. There you go. There you go. Mike Molina, nice St. Paul boy. Uh, as a matter of fact, yep. picking the music there, Molina. That's uh, great. Yeah. Well, Molina lives right by Boca Chica, so I'm very, I'm very jealous of that. <laughs> I love the fact that in St. Paul, when you get off the Lafayette Bridge, you can take a left onto Concord or a right onto Cesar Chavez Boulevard. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I think that's wonderful. Yep, that's my neighborhood. I really do. That is your neighborhood. That's absolutely true. Ian Punnett, our special guest, ladies and gentlemen. What what year did you get into radio? Uh, like you. I was a, I was a kid. You were I, a young You know, I, I was... 14, I think, when I started for a, we had a high school radio station there mm. at, uh, and, and it broadcast, you know, like 20 miles. And I started doing it then. I did it all four years in high school. And then I had to pay for college. Um, we didn't have a, there was a, a prohibition in my family on that. So I had to pay for it myself. And so I got a job in radio and I worked radio all the way through school. That's why it took me seven years to finish undergrad. Was, was there a ban on theology or college? No, no, no. I, my uh, 
my my grandmother was very wealthy. Oh, okay. uh, my father was not particularly successful, and my grandmother decided on the basis of how much she liked the kid, whether or not she would fund their college. <laughs> I didn't get college. She didn't. Grandma didn't care for you. My gra- my brother got a full ride to Northwestern. Why I didn't get a dime? <laughs> why didn't your grandmother like you? I had long hair. She didn't care for that. Oh, um, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, it was just uh, I wasn't uh, I wasn't her kind of kid, I guess. And I really loved. I didn't, which is sad because I didn't know how much she didn't like me until later. I would have been a lot more disrespectful. <laughs> yeah, well, that's like exactly. It. You wasted you wasted all your time being being nice for all came out no exactly. reason. Exactly. I, I tell you, that's one thing about radio people. I suppose television people. I, I don't know the television people the same way, but. Radio people, right. I mean, you've talked about Tommy Mischke and, and uh, there are so many other figures like that. There are, we are different, really yep. different people. There is no question yep. about that. I, um, yep. yeah, and it's maybe its own that, culture. It is its own culture. And, and it, um, matter of fact, I talk to people often about the fact that I knew from the time I was 14 years old, just like you, that I wanted to be a radio announcer. Uh, and I, even though I started out as a, a rock jock, you know, a nighttime disc jockey, because right. they're, they're not going to give a talk show to somebody who's 18 years old. It's not going to happen. So, no. Uh, Although they might now. Yeah, they might now. You're right. Now they <laughs> might actually do that. But uh, so, yeah, I started out as a rock still, jock. He still didn't have anything to say, but they might give him the job anyway. <laughs> That's a possibility. <laughs> Idiot. I, uh, I find the whole thing just pretty amazing yeah. that, that, that it's a that people can make a living doing this, that we can sit and talk. Again, radio announcing, I have no interest in. I, uh, for this, for this podcast, I do radio tours once in a while and I try to avoid them because it's kind of weird that I've been in radio my entire life, but I cannot stand radio announcers. Isn't that odd? No, because it's phony. It is phony. Right? It's phony. And that's not what, so the attraction of radio is a degree of authenticity. You still have to apply enough science to it that there's structure and it makes sense, but the art of it is the lure, right? It's yeah, that unpainted yeah. space. That's the deal. Totally. That's why we're... You I know, loved we're talk- it for that. Absolutely. We're talking about, you know, all these things, whether, whether I, I'll give you better answers. I, I don't want better answers. I want your <laughs> answers. You know, they are great answers to me. Uh, there it's been so bad sometimes when I when I do appear on on radio tours, and I haven't done one now in quite some time. But but they would ask me, well, what do you want me to ask you? And I would say, right. well, what's your job? Yeah, exactly. It's kind of your funny? job to figure yeah. that out. I, I you know, it's it's weird. That's crazy. It's a bizarre and it's worse situation. Is like, and, and there are people out there, there are radio announcers who are really good at it, and mm-hmm. I kind of admire them for it. But I could never do that. No. So I mean, it's not like. I mean, I hear people doing the the real straight disc jockey thing, right? Which is, you know, it's very nipped and tucked, and it's like, you know, radio version of plastic surgery or something. And I get it. I just could never ever do that. If my family's life had depended on it, we would have been living in a refrigerator box. Yeah, no, I, that's exactly right. I did not know, by the way, that I talked. I brought up theology earlier. I didn't know you're an Episcopal deacon. Yep, ordained had, in the church. I had no idea that that was true. So that that was one. That would be one indication that somebody had some money in your family because we've always referred to because I I grew up Roman Catholic, 
and we always refer to right. Episcopal, uh, the Episcopal Church as kind of rich Catholics. Well, they were. It was Republicans at prayer. Was actually the, the <laughs> for a long time, and then and then, if you will, the Episcopal Church kind of got religion during the Civil Rights Movement, and it was one of the first. Mostly because of its scholasticism, it's a highly like Catholicism. It's a highly scholastic religion, so a lot of fancy book learning and mm-hmm. all of that. And and um, and so yeah, I mean, I think that's it was one of the reasons why it had a little turnaround. But from there, before it was all about. I mean, people joined the Episcopal Church if you wanted to do business. It was hell. It was like being a Rotarian, you know. Mm-hmm. It was just your best way to get to know the top lawyers in town and all of that. But it, th- it changed. Do you think that's what it was with your grandmothers? You weren't Republican enough? Ah, well, my grandmother was, you see, it wasn't just, my father was Republican and, and I, I cleave to a lot of things about his, the way, the, the way he viewed the world mm-hmm. to this day. And I, I'm a registered independent, but yeah. my grandmother was a John Birch society member. <laughs> oh, so it's not just Republican. <laughs> You know, she looked at Eisenhower as subversive. So yeah. <laughs> that's where the long hair came into it. I think it's and, so funny. I think that's a wonderful, wonderful story. I had no idea. Yeah. So you know that, and there's a there's something to be said for even you know fringe. I like fringe. Fringe is interesting, but you can't live there. <laughs> like, no. Pack a lunch. Go visit and get the hell out of here. Well, that's why I had so much fun. Now, I haven't seen Mishki in a couple of years, but I used to right. once in a while go in and, and do uh, Ron Rosenbaum's show, and Mishki would come on, and Mishki would get so upset with me because Mishki's a pretty, pretty liberal guy. I mean, he, uh, he's, he's got a very, yeah. liberal, li- very liberal... He's got a strong libertarian... He's got a libertarian streak in there. He does, good, yeah. But even when I when I would question something, just you know, to be me, looking and yeah, <laughs> I, being me is just to poke the bear. That's just how I am. It's how I've always been. I don't, I don't right. know why that happened, but he would he wouldn't. I could see in his eyes that he was very very pissed off at me, but he wouldn't show it outwardly. It was hilarious, yeah. and I don't. Know I could see that. Yeah, I, and I hope if I'm not, I couldn't tell my stepdad either. So Tommy, like the interesting thing about Tommy is you kind of can't tell exactly where he's going to land on certain things. That's because true. he's also very much a traditionalist, and there's a driving force to that, which I appreciate, and I am too. So, and and I think I knowing what I know of you, I think I would throw you into that category too. You appreciate traditions, and some conventions are fine. You just can't be married to them for the rest of your life, because what the right. hell? Then you right. never progress. You never get better. You never do anything different. Yeah, we had so, so much fun for for uh, about a year, I think it was, when, when I would see Tommy. He would come into the studios and hang out with Ron. Then he would come on my show, and then we would go see him perform uh, God, I think I can't remember. It, was, it might have been at Elsie's Bowling Lanes. or I, he We saw him at these, O'Gara's. Yeah, that's right. He was he appeared at O'Gara's. That's exactly right. I forgot about that. But uh, Mish, he's a hell of a talent. He's a hell of a musician, actually. Yeah, brilliant commentator. The more you keep talking about O'Gara's, the more I'm going to want a Reuben. Like I know. I'm thinking. <laughs> I know what you're saying. How many uh, how many books have you written now? So I, I have a new book came out about three weeks ago, and um, that was the book version of my dissertation which was a way of explaining how true crime works. Why, why do we like murder stories, and how do we use real murder stories in our culture? Well, I mean, you, so it's multiple. 
you did coast to coast, so coast to coast. I think a lot of people think coast to coast is just strictly paranormal, and that's what it is. But it's also true, no. true crime. I mean, that's why I loved it. Yeah, it has that element to it. So it's always, you know, true, truly coast to coast is just alternative radio. Right. And and the things we, we would do topics that nobody else, you know, was doing. But if somebody else started doing them, we stopped. So. We were really big into, like, the beehives are collapsing, because they were. And we had all these scientists on who were talking about this great problem we were having with the lack of bees. And as soon as they started running it on the CBS Evening News, we were done. <laughs> it's like, our, our work here is finished. Right. We're not going to keep talking about it. So it was true for anything, especially for unsolved crimes. And things that were, you know, historical mysteries is really where that overlap was. And things that other people had given up talking about, mm-hmm. we're, that's where we lived. You know, that was, that, was, that was great. And I've always been interested, though, in particular about murder stories. Like, why, why are true, like, you know, murder mysteries, Sherlock Holmes stuff, that's great. But why is it that we tell stories of real murders and why do we tell them differently than we do in newspapers? And what's the function of that? So like Serial on NPR or a million of these other right. you know, podcasts that are out there like Serial, which are great. Mm-hmm. But what is, what's the function? What does it do? Why do we need them? And we do. And we always have had them. Um, and so, and again, it goes back to the Bible. You know, we've always used murder as a way of explaining life to the living. You know, it's interesting. I, I, I talked to the, uh, 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 what's the kid's name that does lore? Um, oh, that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to tell you the truth. I think Laura made a huge mistake doing a TV show on, on Amazon. On Amazon. Cause yeah. it, it took it even further down the road of, well, this is all BS and it's not, I don't know. The right. Kid, the kid has done well. Well, can I circle back to something you said earlier about announcers? Absolutely. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm sure the guy's a great guy and, and yeah. like, People are obviously really into it. And my students, when it came on, man, I was hearing all about, oh, you got to listen to lore. What I don't like and what I object to is those, I think of them as these sort of phony folksyisms that he uses. Like, right. you see, that room was a little dark. And it's like, uh, you sound like an animatronic bear at Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> Put it out with the, you know, gather round and I'll tell you a story. You know, I, yes. I hate that stuff. And that's not, to me, that's not the cool part of campfire stories. No, I, I well, look, Rod Serling was really good at that, introducing the Twilight Zone, not true crime, but the narrative yeah. that he did was fantastic and it was way overdone, but it needed to be way overdone for Twilight Zone. So maybe. Okay, but wait, but he didn't put his thumbs through a suspender, no. you know, and go. <laughs> no. He's too busy smoking right? and that's the, the part that bugs. It's just so he had, but Rod. That was Rod Serling. You didn't see an interview where right. Rod Serling didn't talk right. like that, right? That's exactly right. And he wasn't smoking, and he didn't. Right? He didn't. He didn't look like he would just turn around and sock you if he didn't like what you said. He always had that look on his face, and I thought, you know, that's who he was. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what I don't like about some of these podcasts is they're putting something on yes, and it's just, and I, I'm, I, again, you know, and some of it's kind of the wickiness of it all. People just aren't really doing original research. They just pull together mm-hmm. cool facts that they find on the internet and they really don't, you know, drill any deeper than that. And that kind of bugs. And I don't know what your position is on him, but that is the one reason people look, I only ran into him one time, never spent any time with him or whatever. 
But Garrison Keillor drives me insane for that very <laughs> reason. Look, I grew up in North Minneapolis. Nobody right. in Anoka talks like that. I'm just telling you. Right. People in Anoka do not talk like that. So I don't know where you got that accent or that delivery. And and maybe Garrison might even be a friend of yours. I don't know. Uh, no, no, no. I, I don't know him. But, you know, it's interesting. I've always had kind of this – I've always felt like I was sorting him out. I could never quite I understand. feel like I And so there was that performance aspect to it that I'm completely hip to. And it, there was, it just was the way he talked. And you kind of almost like want to meet his family and hear whether anybody else in the family <laughs> talks like that too. Because sometimes it's just that, right? It's just that's how dad talked. And the well, kids picked it up. But. Yeah, that's not it. He's got a brother that... Uh that lives in St. Paul, that doesn't look anything like him. He's not the same size, doesn't talk like him. It, it's, it's, I think, you right. know, because I want to talk about tour de theory, true crime narratives uh, on the, in the third part, if we can do the third part. But I, I just, I, I just wanted, want I agreed with that completely. And, and circling back to Mishki, that's why he's so good at what he does, because it's not phony. Right. It's real. Yeah. That, that's how he really is. And I love that. Yeah, and I, I and I love the fact that you value that. No, it's wonderful. We'll be right back a couple of minutes. Ian Punnett, Toward a Theory of True Crime Narratives. We'll talk more about it right after this Tom Bernard Show. This is Tom, and I've been telling you how easy it has been for me to lose weight on the Nutramost Weight Loss Plan. My goal has been to lose 92.5 pounds. Well, I've started up another round at the new Nutramost Plymouth location, and I can't wait to shed those extra unwanted pounds. Nutramost is unlike any other weight loss program. It's just so easy, and they guarantee that you will lose 20 pounds or more in just 40 days. There's no exercise, shots, drugs, prepackaged food, and I'm never hungry. The team at Nutramost in Plymouth will support you every step of the way on your wellness and weight loss journey. Then, after you hit your goal, Nutramost in Plymouth is there for you with the Nutramost Forever Plan, an all-inclusive wellness program that improves and promotes healthy living and choices. Nutramost has helped me change my life, and I know they can help you too. Nutramost Plymouth, located just off Highway 55 and 494. Call 763-333-7337. That's 763-333-7337. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. When you call Sabre for service, you'll get a certified technician that's an expert at diagnosing, repairing, and installing heating and air conditioning equipment. Sabre Techs give you the service you need, not the other stuff that you don't need. When you combine that with Sabre's A rating for customer service and the best equipment from Bryant, you get exactly what you need. So make the call to Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning today. Sabre and Bryant, whatever it takes. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Tom Bernard Show. Ian Punnett, our very special guest, Toward a Theory of True Crime Narratives, a textual analysis. Um, fascinating stuff to me. I, you know, we, we talked about Coast to Coast. We've talked about Twilight Zone. We've talked about yeah. uh, deliveries, all, all the rest of it. I um, True con- crime fascinates me. And I, the reason it fascinates me is, and I've talked about this before, um, I only knew a couple of them, but three of my uncles were murdered and right. therefore it kind of, it set me off on a, I remember 13 years old, I was sitting at our house at 29th and, and Russell in North Minneapolis and the princess phone on the wall. Remember they used to hang on the phone, those princess phones. Oh yeah. 
And yeah, that's what I love about Stranger Things. I love that princess phone on the wall. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Right? So it rang, and my mother answered it, and she, I was just sitting there watching television, and she answered the phone, and she said, what? And then she screamed and ran into the other room, and I remember she dropped the princess phone, and it swung back and forth and back and forth for, quite, uh, for a long time. And I was just watching the phone go back and forth and back and forth, and nothing was coming out. I would have thought that people would have been going, hello, hello, but nothing right. came out of the phone. And finally, yeah, it was re- very weird. Finally, my, uh, I went and asked my mother what's wrong, and she said, Augie's dead. Uh, and I said, what? She said, Augie's dead. Somebody killed Augie. And I, as my, this is an uncle. He's about 6'3", handsome guy. He had a woman, a woman that used to drive him around everywhere, but he never had a job. And I often wondered about that, how you, could, how you could have a driver and you did whatever you wanted. Very charming, very funny guy, but he never worked. Yep. And then one day what happened, we found out later, we had, of course, tell my grandmother that he slipped in the tub and, and that's why his head was smashed in. But uh, apparently, I don't know what happened. I don't know why it happened. They actually knew the person who did it, but he was never charged with a crime. Uh, but apparently he was taken to the top uh, over just off Loring Park, one of the right on Spruce Place there. And they threw him off the building and killed him. And therefore, I've always had, I've been fascinated. And my wife, actually, Catherine, brings it up all the time. She said, you know, when your family gets together, whether it's at Thanksgiving or Christmas or whenever you guys get together, it's so weird how you talk about true crime every time you get together. Right. Right. But, but it's, well, just, it's how we sort things out. Yeah. And I think unpacking the story and, you know, like, so this, this new book, you know, this is not a retail book. This is, you, if you, people go on Amazon and they look up toward a, a true crime narrative, a theory of true crime narratives, the, I think the lowest price is like 63 bucks or something yes. for the book. That's yes. if you bought the Kindle edition. That means zeros and ones, and you're still paying 62 bucks. So oh, right. I'm not expecting anybody to go out and buy it. But it is for academics. <laughs> it's for libraries. It's for textbooks, right? So, but I think that's interesting because well, this, this speaks to the idea that we, we use that story form to understand murder. Right. Because we just reading about, you know, Augie Bernard died and, you know, or, or whatever his last name was, and he died at the corner of so-and-so and so-and-so, and he was 39, and he never had a job in his life, but he sure had a lot of women driving him around. That just doesn't do it, right? It doesn't really tell the whole story in five inches in a newspaper story. And that's why we use true crime to really unpack stuff so we can figure out what really happened. You know, it's amazing. Did I mention how old he was? No. Because that's a big... Shut up. That's Did I get a, it right? I'm not kidding you. Uh, Ian, I'm not kidding <laughs> you. My uncle, Augie, his last name is Dane, D-E-H-N, my oh. mother, my mother's brother. But yeah. it's so weird. That's a huge part of the story because his whole life, he said, man, I cannot wait to be 40 years old. It's going to be the greatest thing uh. of my life. He was killed five days before his 40th birthday. Oh, shut up. And you oh, nailed it. That was That's very cool, Ian. Very you weird. nailed it. I was just pulling that out of thin air, I promise you. I, I did not know that. Wow. That's amazing. But, you know, but that's kind of, so, like, right there, if you if we freeze that moment for a second, though, like, to a to proper journalism, that's immaterial. 
that, yeah, you know, yeah. you, we, unless somebody in the family said it and said, you know, it's really sad. It was five days before his birthday and he was really looking forward to turning 40, which you can use in, in proper journalism. That's a great quote. You can use that for a little color, but it doesn't really frame it in that way, except when we really get to a chance to tell a story in a longer form, because that's the kind of detail that you go into in true crime. Um, and you can, you can, you can really like try to explain, like, was it destined somehow? Did he always know that he was never going to get to 40? Was that part of, you know, how, I mean, there's just things like that, that become part of the actual story that we lived and experienced, which end up in a narrative like true crime, which there's no other place to put it, you know? No, there's no question about that. That whole thing changed my life forever for two other reasons very quickly. He, as I said, he's about 6'3", very tall, the handsome guy. Uh, two things. We were very, very poor. Now, I don't know what he did, but he never worked, and therefore he maybe had money, but it was stolen when he was killed or whatever. But, but my grandmother could not afford a really expensive casket, so they opted, and I found this out uh, very quickly because you could tell. Uh, I said, I said to my mother, Mom, why is that casket so short? And she said, No, never mm. mind. Never mind. And I said, What? They bought the cheapest casket. My grandmother bought the cheapest casket she could find, and they literally cut his legs off at the knees and stuck him in the casket. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So he's in this yeah. ca- casket for about a five foot tall guy. And then the other yeah. thing is, I don't go to funerals because Ow. of his funeral. Because while I was standing there, I'm 13 years old, and I'm standing there watching this whole thing. I'm already creeped out by the fact that they stuffed him in this small casket. And then a woman went up and kissed him on the lips. And I went, Ooh. oh, my God. <laughs> so, Yikes. See, this is, a, this is different than weird. lore. It's real, and it changed yeah. my life forever. Now, forehead I get. Right? Yeah, forehead you know, yeah, you've I, seen. But there's something about lips, yeah. I've never thought, I've never, I don't, I, and I've been, you know, I, I even sadly officiated at a, a funeral a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And so I've done a lot of funerals, um, but I've never seen that. Um, that, that would be, that would be really odd. It's think, creepy. You as know, well. it was creepy. I think it was really fun. I did a funeral once where um, this was the first funeral I ever did. And it was a guy who was salt of the earth. Super nice family. Didn't know him, but I was the low person on the clergy ladder at mm-hmm. this church where I had just started while I was going to seminary. I was doing radio full-time, going to seminary in the daytime, and I was working weekends um, in my internship at the church. Busy life. But so I was asked to this funeral, and while I was there, um, he, his family was—this was meaningful to them, to talk about him honestly— and I remember when somebody, one of the family members got up and I asked if anybody had anything to say. And they got up and they started saying, looking down at the casket, open casket. And he was being buried in his leathers, in his Harley leathers. Oh. And the guy at the podium said, hey, man, remember when we took that ride out west? We got those whores. Remember that? It was the best. Is- I'm standing there. <laughs> you know, I'm like 30 or whatever. I'm standing there in regalia and I like freeze because I've never done this before. And I look out at the gathered group for this guy's family in this chapel and they're all nodding along going, oh yeah, the horror story. Oh, remember that? They had a great time. Those horrors were great. Unbelievable. 
And it brought them real value. It had real oh, yeah. meaning to them. And so I was like, okay, well, that's good. And I've always used that as a model for funerals ever since, is that whatever it takes for everybody there to feel better, funerals are for the living, and people are putting weed in his casket and all that stuff. And I'm like, yeah, whatever, you know? I was so good with it. Is that what true crime narrative is really all about, is trying to understand people because some things they do you just cannot believe that a human being would do that but a true crime narrative is like yeah i guess people do much worse things than that exactly like have you ever seen the keepers on um on netflix yes right the cast the story that they're coming up with a season two Mm -hmm. about these two women uh, trying to get to the bottom of how their beloved nun right this kind of cool nun that they had when they were teenage girls at this catholic school was murdered by the parish priest, which has never been fully solved, and they're determined to solve it. And it's a great series, but that's exactly it right there. It's like they use language, they talk in vocabulary that's distinct to them, they they reminisce, they do whatever, but they're trying to get to a truth that the police aren't going to, you know, this thing's long over for the cops. Mm-hmm. Newspapers weren't reported. Who else is going to do it? Who else is going to do that except somebody who's going to write a true crime or, in this case, do a true crime, you know, TV doc out of it? And it wh- doesn't happen. It'll go, it'll go right. a story that goes untold. And what drives them? What, so what, dro- what drove these women justice. to do it in the first place? Justice. That's it. It's all, so it was all about justice for them. Uh, that's what I love about true crime stories is, is yeah. some people want justice. Some people want, it, want an answer to what happened. And it's yeah. not about justice necessary, necessarily. I just don't understand why this happened. Why did this happen? Right. I love and, that. And, and this is like, you know, tapping into that part we talked once about your anger stuff that you've been, you know, getting a hold of. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. That this this is where this is where it's righteously, I believe, channeled. If you feel umbrage over somebody getting away with something in a community, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter how old it is. It could have been thir- You know, we want to know what happened to Augie, right? And there's no reason why we can't know. And maybe now is the time when people are old enough because they're on their deathbed, and they're finally going to they're finally going to tell the truth and somebody might finally spill the beans on something which they've been holding on to for decades and that's what that's that you know like a pit bull on a roast beef that's where you just like I've got to be tenacious enough and and maybe you'll get somewhere you know that's part of the speculation why when my family does get together we talk about it because we don't know why he was killed we have no idea why right. he was killed and i think i, I don't know if I, we didn't think my mother knew. What would happen if you started? If you made a podcast, I'm trying to find out. You know, that'd be it. You and I could do it together. I'd do it with you in a heartbeat. We should do. Well, you what and I should do. Augie? We we should do a podcast. What happened to Augie? That would be. You know, we got to talk it. about that. That's a phenomenal but, idea. But that's and and we just got to find the people that know Augie. We got to look for the clues. And and the fact is, they could be diamonds right in the middle of the gravel and since nobody's looking down no one's picking them up yeah it's we all need closure i suppose whether we ever get it is a different a different thing but but won't it just also tell you it goes back to the swinging princess phone that was a seminal moment in your life oh god yes i'll never i'm see i can picture it in my head right now i can see it swinging back and forth yep it's true. I, I can picture it, and I wasn't there. And suddenly I just can relate to that sense of, like, 
it's the pendulum swing. It's like time. It's like That's a clock. It. It's like it's it's a million things that happened, and it all gets compressed into she drops the phone, and your mom runs out of the room. That's uh, another thing. Ian, I, seriously, you and I need to sit down and have dinner one night because that's, that's exactly it. Be, because I think of that moment, because we never owned one, but now, and I, I just realized this very moment, it's probably true, uh, because of that phone swinging back and forth and me watching it do that, I now own, I believe, seven grandfather clocks. Really? That's so interesting. That's bizarre. Some some are wall That's hangers, so some are standing. Everywhere that I go, everywhere I've ever lived, we have lots of grandfather clocks because I love to watch that pendulum swing back and forth. It gives me peace. Uh, Isn't that weird? It's time. Yep. No, it's your, it's, it's, it, it, it looks like time, right? Yep. I mean, it yep. just looks, there's something about it that's very therapeutic and it's... It's basic physics, and it's all these other things that get rolled into one, and I love it. But I think that's where, so, you know, there's the true crime is a story that, you know, in this case, we would investigate. We would attempt to tell a story that is true using the tools of one that is not. And so true crime stories tend to be very entertaining because they sound like back to lore again. They sound like campfire stories in a way. And they are family stories, and a lot of people can relate to it. But what could we find if we really decided? How far could we get in determining what happened? I think it would be wonderful. I will reach out to you, sir. Thank you so much. What a great hour. I love this kind of radio. I'm always here for you, man. If somebody cancels, call. Okay? <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you, Ian. All have right. A, thank you both. God bless. Like. Toward a theory of true crime narratives, a textual analysis is available on Amazon. As he said, it's not cheap. Uh, he says it's not for everybody. Uh, yeah, it's uh, on Amazon, $63. So it's, it's that kind of deal. Uh, Ian Punnett, ladies and gentlemen, a very, very smart guy uh, and a very worldly man. I love talking to Ian. Uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Tom Bernard Show. <laughs>